Hi. Um, well, before I start, um, if you haven't, there are some bulletins in the back. They have some notes. Um, this sermon deserves a series of sermons, so um, I encourage you to take one of those, go to the scripture, and just spend some time meditating in the scriptures, and really, as Paul says, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Don't take something because I say it. You go into the scriptures, you test it, and hold fast to what is good. And if nothing else, um, take one as uh, just to show your appreciation to our sister Ashley, all the hard work she puts into these week after week. So I encourage you to take one. Um, before we turn to the scriptures, I just want to say a couple of words. So the what I'm going to be preaching over today is uh, about sanctification. If you aren't familiar with that term, uh, sanctification is just the process by which we are conformed to Christ. The process by which we are made holy. Okay, in righteousness and holiness. This sanctification and uh, sanctification by faith. Faith is believing the truth. Believing the truth revealed through the scriptures. You know, now, at least in my experience, um, in my, I guess, rather short time uh, in the faith, it seems as if there is not much teaching on sanctification. That's one of my burdens in bringing it before you guys, because as Christians, we know um, that that's our greatest desire to be like Christ. So we need to be instructed on how to pursue that. There is a right and a wrong way. Now also, I know because of that, and it might be alien to many of your Christian experiences, there may be some various ways that um, you might hear this sermon, uh, but I just encourage you to uh, just give your ear to what the Lord has appointed. You know, perhaps some of you will um, hear this and because it's so alien and you turn away from it in unbelief. You know, perhaps some of you may hear it and say, hmm, interesting, I've never heard that. I'll, I'll consider that. But then you leave and you leave the sermon in here and you never think about it again. But perhaps some of you will hear this and you'll not only consider it, but you'll receive it, you'll embrace it, you'll take it before the Lord, you'll believe it, you'll live off of it. So let's pray for that. Father God, Father God, I do not stand here representing myself. I do not stand here because I have any wisdom or knowledge. I do not stand here because I'm any special person. I stand here as one chosen by you to be nothing but a mouthpiece unto you. I do not preach myself, but Jesus Christ the Lord and myself as a slave for Jesus' sake. So God, who caused the light to shine out, out of the darkness, would you cause to shine in many hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, that you would do a great work and bring about sanctification in this place. Bring about holiness in this place. Perhaps, Father, there are some in here that know nothing of sanctification because they know nothing of you. They are not saved. They are not Christians. They refuse to abandon everything to take hold of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would open their eyes because if this is not a reality in their life, that means they are perishing. They are on their way to hell. Father, Open their eyes to the truth. And now would you help me 
And may I decrease that you may increase. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you will, open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we are going to look at verses 27 through 29. And if you are able, please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew 9, 27 through 29. When Jesus departed from there, Two blind men followed him, crying out and saying, Son of David, have mercy on us. And when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. And Jesus said to them, Do you believe I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, let it be to you. You may be seated. So here we have these blind men coming up to Jesus. Now apparently they have been instructed on who this Jesus is. Of course, we don't know their background. We do know they grew up in a culture that had a great expectation of the Messiah. But by the grace of God, it's been revealed to them. They realize who this Jesus is. And they say, Son of David, which takes us all the way back to 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel chapter 7, excuse me where David is made a promise. And that promise is that from his line, there would be one who would rule and would reign forever, for all eternity. The greater David. So, these blind men, however they came about that knowledge, we do know that it was revealed to them by God. It's interesting the physically blind men could see better than many who have sight. So they could see who Christ was. I hope you can see who Christ is this morning. But they come to Jesus. They come to him. And we see in verse 28, or at the end of verse 27, Son of David, have mercy on us. So they know that Christ is merciful. So they are coming to Christ. I've mentioned, mentioned it before in the Gospels. We really have picture after picture after picture of prayer. This is how we come to Christ, the son of David, in prayer. As the writer of Hebrews says, to obtain mercy from him. So they're coming to the son of David. Have mercy on us. It says, when he had come into the house, the blind men came to him. So it's interesting that it's almost as, of course, we don't know the exact details, but it's almost as Jesus heard and he continued until we got into the house. You know, sometimes when we go to Christ in prayer, go to God in prayer, it's like he, he just keeps on walking. I mean, I'm praying to you. I'm crying out. I, I need mercy. But he, he keeps on moving. But what do these blind men do? Do they say, oh, he's not interested. Sorry. Well, I guess we're doomed to be in our blindness for the rest of our lives. That's not what happens. So they follow him into the house. And again, they come to him. Says Jesus said to them, do you believe I'm able to? 
to do this. So should they be? Of course, I mean, why else should we be here? So there is belief. So they say to him, yes, Lord. See, their faith, it wasn't just, oh, well, we believe some truths. It's a faith that wouldn't be turned away. Jesus kept walking. They're like, no, I believe in him. I believe he's the son of David. I know he is able to do this. I know he is merciful. I know he is willing to do this. I follow him into the house. And now, after Jesus touches their eyes, he said, according to your faith, let it be to you. We see a sanctification process going on here. So they believed that he was the son of David. They believed he was the promised Messiah. They believed he was the anointed one of God who came into the world to bear the sins, to bear the wrath of God, that we do not have to suffer the wrath of God. They believed who he was. But their belief was tested when Jesus seemed to just almost ignore them and went to the house, didn't say a word. But their belief was tested. And after it is tested, it, it comes out more mature. And especially when they see Jesus answer their request, their faith is strengthened all the more. This is a process of sanctification by faith. Do you believe I am able to do this? And he said, according to your faith, let it be to you. There is a real um, relationship between our faith and our sanctification. Often we're like, okay, well, okay, I believe he's the son of David. I believe Jesus Christ was sent to this world because I cannot live a perfectly righteous life which God requires and God demands justice for any transgression, any sin, and I deserve hell. I deserve the wrath of God to be suffering that for all eternity. I believe that. I've cast myself upon Christ who suffered the wrath of God in my place. He rose again. And it's only through him I can be saved. He is the way, truth, and the life. I cannot come to God except by him. I believe that. I believe that he is the only way to be saved. It's not any of these other religions. It's not Catholicism, not Mormonism, not Jehovah. You just go down the list. None of those things. It's Christ and Christ alone. I believe that. So we believe that. But then, what do we do after that? You know, Paul tells us in Colossians 2, 6, he says, As we have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So as we've received him by faith, do we go out and walk a different way? And often, I fear many of us pursue our sanctification this way. We believe the truth. Now, Let's go into our Bibles. Let's get a list of rules. And let's try to obey these. And we're going to be, you know, more like Christ. You know, sanctification by works, you can say. Or sanctification by trying to keep the law. But is that how we pursue sanctification? No. It's by faith. It's according to our faith. So I just want to highlight really quickly just three, uh, three aspects. And like I said, this deserves a good series. So I encourage you to go to these scriptures yourself. That's why, you know, I've created this. So you can go to the scriptures for yourself. You can test these things. You can meditate on these things. There's a lot of things I'm not able to say today. But I believe the spirit that works in you will illuminate these things through your diligence. So first of all, we are sanctified. We are made more like Christ 
as we believe the ability of God. We even see it in this text. He says, do you believe I am able to do this? Let me ask you, do you believe in the ability of God, the ability of Christ? You know, he tells us in the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews 7.25, he says, he is able to save us to the uttermost, those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession or to pray for us. He is able. Jesus Christ is able to save us to the uttermost. Like, what does that mean? What does the uttermost mean? It means completely, thoroughly. There is no area in your life that he is not able to deliver you from, to save you completely. It's not, oh, well, he, he can save me from lying, but from this. No, there, there is no division. He can save you completely to the uttermost. But do you believe he is able to do that? Because what do we see in these men? We see not just these men coming, okay, I'm going to make my prayer request. This is what I want. I want mercy. Okay, he kept walking. Okay, now on to the next thing. We see, they're like, I believe he is able. I don't know why he's walking, but I'm going to follow him. I'm going to keep pursuing him because I believe he is able to do this. Do you believe he is able? What might you be struggling with this morning? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is able to deliver you? Do you believe he's able to do that? You say, yeah, I went to him in prayer, but here I am, still struggling. You know, I've been uh, spending a lot of time, you know, uh, meditating on uh, different mental afflictions and how the scriptures deal with that as we work through that in the Lord's Day Bible study. You know, do you believe that Jesus is able to deliver you from your mental affliction? Whatever it is, you say, oh, this is too severe. No. Is he able? Do you believe he is able? You know, you might not, it might not be the first time. You might come, son of David, have mercy on me. And it seems he keeps walking. If you truly believe that, shouldn't you keep pursuing him and pursuing him and pursuing him? And being like that woman Jesus tells us about that goes to the unjust judge? And the unjust unjust judge, he doesn't fear God, he doesn't fear man, but because she keeps coming. It's like, okay, I'm going to get this woman off my back. That's a paraphrase, by the way. Okay, but Jesus turns and says, you see what the unjust judge did? Now, think about what my father will do to the children he loves. Now, again, do you believe he's able to do this? Do you believe he's able to deliver you? Don't stop going to him. Pursue Christ. Keep going to him in prayer. Keep in his word. Do you believe he's able to do that? Do you believe he's able to deliver you? Because he is able to save you to the uttermost. You're like, well, it's not really um, mental afflictions. You know, it's, it's really this one sin in my life. I, I, I just, I mean, everything else, it, it seems... Uh, the Lord delivered me from that. But this one sin, I just don't know. I'm, I'm just going to struggle with it for the rest of my life, I guess, as a Christian. Again, do you believe he is able to deliver you? In the book of Jude, it says that he is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before it's thrown with exceeding joy. Now, yes, ultimately, he's able to keep you from stumbling and falling away from the faith, but should we limit it to that? Should we limit and say, oh, you can, you can keep me from falling away from the faith, but you cannot keep me from this sin. You're, I mean, I know you're powerful, but I mean, I'm a sinner and I, I, I just don't know. No, he is able. Do you believe that? Do I believe that? 
Do you believe he is able to keep you from stumbling? If you believe that, should it not be shown in our lives? You know, many times we're like, oh, reading the Bible, that's, that's a duty. I know I have to do as a Christian. Going, praying, that's a duty I have to do as a Christian. Again, pursuing our sanctification the wrong way. That's pursuing sanctification by works, by some law. This is what I must do. No, that is not how we pursue our sanctification. Do you believe? If you believe that. It will show up in your life. They believe that Jesus was able. And what happened? Did they say, oh, I believe. And they sit there, watch him walk away. Maybe they might cry out again and watch him keep walking. But no, what did their belief do? Their belief said, okay, he's going to keep walking. I'm going after him. And I'm going to get in his face. You know, this is a picture of bold, boldness in prayer. Because they believe. And they come up, they get in the face of Christ. I mean, of course Christ heard, heard them the first time, but he tests their faith. Just like he does with the Gentile women at another time in the Gospels. When she came, her daughter was demon-possessed. Jesus kept walking. Jesus even went and said, basically, I didn't come for you. But she kept pursuing, kept pursuing, kept pursuing. Why? Because she believed it. And we have some very similar. He says, great is your faith. Let it be what you have believed. Jesus delights to see our faith in action. So why do we go to the Word? Why do we pray? Is it to check off some list, to do some duty? No, it's because we believe Him. And we go to him constantly, over, over. We take his word. We take it before Christ. We say, you have said this. I'm holding you to your word because I believe you. Do you believe he is able? As a matter of fact, in Ephesians, he says this, that he is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above and beyond what we can ask or even think. So what you, what I believe he's able to do in us, he can do far more than that. Often we're like, uh, God, I mean, I know, I know you're able, but there should be no buts. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what any of us can ask or what any of us can think. And then he says, according to the power which works in you. If you are a Christian in here this morning, do you know that you have more power at work in you than you can even understand? More power is at work in you than any force in this world. We got all the nuclear bombs, this and that. We say, oh, look at all that. No, that's, that's not power. We say, oh, look at these natural disasters, these tsunamis, these earthquakes and this, tornadoes, that's power. No, that's not power. That doesn't even compare to just a small percentage of the power that works in you as a Christian. This is the power that works in you. Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, he tells us that, or prays that we should know the exceedingly great power, or some translations, the immeasurable power that works in us who believe according to the working of his power which worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead the same exact power that raised Christ from the dead works in us who believe and that is exceedingly and abundantly above what we can even ask or even think why should we hesitate to go to the word, to go to prayer, when there is more power than we could even imagine accessible to us and in us. So we are sanctified as we believe in the ability of God and Christ. Secondly, we're sanctified as we believe in the faithfulness of God and Christ. 
In 1 Thessalonians in chapter 5, verse 23, he tells us, Oh, Paul prays, uh, basically pronounces a benediction. He's like, Now, may the Lord sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved, blameless, till the coming of the Lord. And he says, he who promised, he is faithful, and he will do it. You know, there's one very important word in there. Because often we think like this. Okay, God, I, I know you're faithful. And like he said in Philippians, he who began a good work will complete it till the day of Christ. Okay, I believe that. I believe well, on the day of Christ. I'm going to be presented blameless. Yes, amen, hallelujah, that is true. That is our hope. But there's one very important word in there. He says that he is able to preserve you blameless. Not just on that last day, but preserve you throughout your life, walking blamelessly before God. Now, let me say something, lest I be misunderstood. Even as a Christian, everything you do, everything I do, has the fingerprints of your sin all over it. There is nothing you do that is without sin. That's why Peter tells us that it's only our spiritual sacrifices, they're only acceptable through Christ Jesus. There is nothing we can do even as a Christian, that can please God. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And what does that mean? That faith, who is it in? Christ Jesus. So it's only acceptable through Christ. There's nothing we can present Him that will be acceptable to Him. So when I say blameless, when you read blameless in the Scriptures, don't, don't trip up over that. That's not talking about being completely without sin. As Christ is. Okay, we see as we go through the Old Testament, there's a reason we get these blameless pronouncements from God himself on men, like Job. He was a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. That didn't say Job was sinless, but he was blameless. It was a blameless man. We got John the Baptist's parents. It says this is a righteous couple. Continuing in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. You're like, so they perfectly kept everything without sin? No. But there was a blamelessness. And we can achieve that blamelessness by faith. You know, many times as Christians, we see it as impossible. And therefore... We always we can't do anything but fall short. Jesus says, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Do, do you even believe that you can be preserved blameless? Do you even believe that? Because we already talked about the ability of God, the ability of Christ. He is able to save you to the uttermost. He is able to keep you from stumbling, even exceedingly and abundantly above what any of us can ask or think. And by that power which works in us, he can preserve us blameless. And the most important part is the end. He who promised is faithful, and he will do it. Again, if you believe that, what should that look like in our lives? Should that look as, I'm trying to keep some list of rules? Or should that look like a desperation, knowing our sinful state, knowing our helplessness, and just pursuing him like these blind men? We're doomed to live like this the rest of our lives unless we get to Christ. He's going to keep walking. I'm going after him. I don't care if I'm blind. I don't care if I have this affliction. I don't care what it takes. I'm going after Christ. I'm holding on to his word. I'm going to him in prayer. Preserve me blameless. Do you believe that? 
What about temptation? What about your trials, your tribulations? What does the faithfulness of God have to do with that? Well, in 1 Corinthians, we read this. That no temptation, and that word temptation, it isn't just a temptation of sin. It has to do with trials, tribulations, afflictions, any of these things that try us. He says, no temptation shall come upon you except what is common to men. And here it is again. God is faithful. And he will not allow you to be tempted, to be tried, tried to go through any tribulation, affliction, circumstances. He will not allow you to go through more than you are able. But with the temptation, with the trial, with the tribulation, whatever it is, with that, he, the faithful God, will provide a way of escape that you are able to endure it. He is faithful. Yes, there are things that you cannot handle. Yes, there are things I cannot handle. But my God is faithful. Your God is faithful. He will not allow it. So whatever comes upon you, whatever you're going through this morning, whatever you have been through, whatever you will go through, it's not more than what you are able to handle by the grace of God. And there is a way of escape. And that way of escape is through Christ. The Christ who is able to save you to the uttermost. Flee to Christ. Cling to Christ. In your word, in prayer. Not as a duty, but as a, a means, you can say, to get to a person. He is faithful. He is faithful in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. It says that we hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering. That word means firmly, immovable, unbendable. So you're like, wait, I can have a firm, immovable faith in all circumstances. How does that happen? It says, let us hold fast to our confession of hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. You're not going to do it by your faithfulness. I'm not going to do it by my faithfulness. We, we will only do it if our faithfulness is rooted in his faithfulness. He is faithful. Is your faith wavering this morning? You feel like you're being moved. Believe in the faithful God. Believe in the faithful Christ. He is faithful. And he can grant you to cling to Christ with an immovable, firm faith. He is faithful. Cling to him. In your word, in prayer, cling to him. So we are sanctified as we believe in the ability of God in Christ, as we believe in the faithfulness of God in Christ. But we're sanctified as we believe in the work of God in Christ. And I would love to spend a lot more time here. I'm just going to go through it, see what the Lord does. So I encourage you, I, I would encourage you, spend some time in Romans chapter 6 through Romans chapter 8. Follow Paul's argument there of the work of God in Christ. And you, if you are a Christian, and here this morning. So in chapter 6, after chapters 1 through 4, he tells us about, first of all, you know, our, our state that the wrath of God is against us for all of our unrighteousness and all of our lawlessness. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven. But then as we get to chapter 3, Starting in verse 21, he says, but the righteousness of God has been revealed. And he goes into the work of Christ. Chapter 4, he explains 
How this isn't by works, it's by faith. Faith alone. Chapter 5, he starts going into the benefits. You've been justified by faith. You have peace with God. You have access through grace and to, uh, through faith and this grace in which you stand. You rejoice in hope of the glory of God. He goes on to say, you know, just as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, by one man's obedience, the obedience of Christ, many are made righteous. We are clothed in his righteousness. But then you're like, okay, if I'm clothed in his righteousness, then if I sin, it's not really a big deal. But Paul's like, nah, nah. He's not letting you go there. He's like, when you believe on the work of Christ outside of you, it can't be separated by the, from the work of Christ in you. And in chapter 6, as we come in, he's like, what then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In other words, since we're righteous in Christ, can we just sin and it's no big deal? It's like, no, certainly not. It says, do you not know as many of you were baptized or immersed into Christ, has been baptized into his death. And he says, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, you too should walk in newness of life. Christian, there has been a work done in you. Peter says it like this. He himself bore our sins in his body on that tree that we, having died to sin, might live to righteousness. His work is attached not only externally but internally to the work done in us. If you truly have believed and received what he's done outside of you, you must receive and believe what he's done inside of you. He continues and says that we have been united with him in his death, and surely we shall be united with him in his resurrection. And he says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with. The word means to be made inoperative. Christian, your body of sin not just this sin and that sin, the whole body of sin. It's been done away with when you are crucified with Christ. And he said, it's been done away with that you might no longer be slaves of sin. Chains are broken. He says, he who has died has been justified from sin or declared righteous from sin. See, when Christ died, when we believed in his death, we died to sin with him. And he goes forward, says, not only did you die with him, he says that if we believe that we died with him, we believe that we shall live with him. Knowing this, so he says, knowing this again, he says that Christ, who was raised from the dead, he dies no more. Sin no longer has, or death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all the life he lives. He lives unto God. So what's he saying? Christian, he is saying, just as Christ died and he rose, death no longer has dominion over him. It's the same principle with you, brother, sister. You have died with Christ. The body of sin is done away with. And sin no longer has dominion over you. You've been raised with Christ. And now you walk in that newness of life. But you will only walk in that newness of life to the degree that you believe this because Paul with the first commandment in the book of Romans says this, Likewise, you also reckon or consider yourself to be dead indeed to sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus the Lord. 
If you cannot press your mind down on that and believe that, then you're not going to make any progress and walk in the newness of life. According to your faith, let it be to you. We must believe that. That we have died with Christ. Our body of sin is done away with. Once and for all, sin no longer has dominion over us. We are free from sin. And now, Paul continues and says, So do not present the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. In other words, if you never grasp verse 11, and that you consider and reckon and believe that you have died with Christ and are now alive to God in Christ Jesus to walk in newness of life, if you never come to terms with that, you're never going to make it to not presenting your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. See, often we'll jump over that. We're like, okay, well, I'm a Christian now. I'm okay. I'm not presenting the members of my body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. Well, we're not going to get very far. We're going to end up in chapter 7, which we'll, Lord will get to in a minute. Where Paul's like, ah, the, the things I want to do, I don't do that, which I hate that I practice. What's wrong with me? That's where we will be if we jump over that and just, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to try. I'm, I'm not presenting the members of my body as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. No, it starts with believing, and we believe all the way through. And Paul continues, he says, But present yourselves as being alive from the dead, and the members of your body as instruments of righteousness to God. Then he says this, And sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. That grace transforms your heart. In a few verses, he'll explain that. and says, we have come obedient from the heart to that form of doctrine to which we were delivered. And now having been set free from sin, we become slaves of righteousness, for holiness, for sanctification. That's how we pursue our sanctification, not by the law. In chapter 7, he speaks of the law. It's like, okay, now I'm going to set before you why you cannot pursue it by the law. You will have no progress pursuing your sanctification by some list of rules, by some duty, by some law. You'll have no progress. And he's, I'm going to use myself as an example. This is what it looks like when you try to pursue sanctification by the law. He's like, we must die to the law. Because if you don't, this is how your life's going to look. The things I want to do, I, I don't do that which I hate, that I practice. But I, why am I doing this? And I desire, I delight in the law of God and the inward man. I see another law. I work in my members. I'm in this body of death. It's like, that's what it's going to look like if you try to pursue sanctification by the law. But at the end of that, he gives us a note. He says, but thanks be to God. There is deliverance through Christ Jesus. He goes into chapter 8, which really chapter 8 goes back to chapter 6. Because as he's speaking, he says, speaking of the mindset on the spirit, he says, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For the mindset in the flesh is death, but the mindset in the spirit is life and peace. But there was no life and peace back in chapter 7. That was a body of death. That was a mind that's full of anxieties. But if your mindset in the spirit, it's life and peace. And he says, for the mindset in the flesh is an enemy with God. It does not subject itself to the law of God, neither can it be. Uh, can it be. For if you're in the flesh, you cannot please God. But he says this. He says, but you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Then, if Christ is in you, here's chapter 6. Though the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because 
of righteousness. See, there's an argument going on. Often we look at Romans chapter 7 and we're like, yeah, mm, well, if uh, Paul struggled with this, I guess, I mean, I'm no better than Paul. I'm, I'm just going to struggle like this the rest of my life. I'll be doing the things I hate. And I'm going to have no power, no. Romans chapter 7 is in there where Paul points to the incorrect way to pursue your sanctification. So if that's how our lives look, we need to examine how are we pursuing our sanctification. Are we going to a law? Are we setting our mind on the Spirit, on Christ Jesus, on His work in us? That we are dead to sin. We are alive in him. And therefore, again, clinging to his word, coming to him in prayer, constantly, boldly. I mean, what else would Christ delight to do but to make us more like himself? Why wouldn't he grant us that? We know his promises in prayer. So we must believe the ability, the faithfulness, and the work of God in Christ. But now we say, okay, I, I, I understand that, but is that it? I just believe, and I'll be made more like Christ. I'll be made more holy. I'll be set apart from my sin unto righteousness. Just believe. Well, if I said that this building was on fire, you sit there, you look at me, you nod, you're like, you're credible. I have no reason to doubt you. And you go on about how you can believe my word. Amen, yes, yes, I, I, I believe you. And you sit there. Do you believe me? Nothing changes. You're not even frightened. You don't even care about getting out. Do you believe me? So yes, it is simply believing. But when you believe, it changes everything back to the blind men. What happened when they believed? When they believed, it put a drive into them, a desperation in them. I must get to Christ. I don't care what I have to go through. I will get to him. Nothing is stopping me from getting to Christ. We see examples like this throughout the Gospels. The woman with the bleeding disorder for 12 years, crawling through a crowd to get to Christ just to touch the hem of his garment. Constantly we see this. Why do we see this in the Gospels? Is it just some story? No. It's to tell you about how you should go after Christ, how I should go after Christ. And you notice, in almost every single one of those, Christ makes a comment on their faith. Not on, oh man, yeah, you were diligent, crawling through and everything. No, he makes a comment on their faith. It's because they believe. And according to their faith, it was done to them. Do you believe? Do I believe? What should that look like in our lives? So I just encourage you, as James says, you know, we are not to be hearers only, but we are to be doers of the word. And this man is blessed in what he does. I just encourage you, so take what you've heard today. Take, take the notes with you. Go to the scriptures yourself. Like I said, don't just take it from my mouth and say, oh, well, I didn't say it, so I believe it. No. You go to your word and you say, God said it. And I see it right here. It is plain as day. Maybe I haven't seen it for all of these years in my Christian life, but I see it. You know, as preachers, we are to point you to the Word. We are to point you away from the Word and say, listen to me. No, we say, thus says the Lord. Now, go check it out. So, take what you've heard today. Go to your Word. 
Go to the Lord in prayer. Maybe it's so alien to your Christian experience. Maybe your Christian experience looks like Romans chapter 7, and you've accepted, this is how my life is going to look. No. Go to the scriptures and say, God, okay, all my Christian life, it's been this way, but apparently I've been pursuing sanctification the wrong way. I've been pursuing sanctification by the law, sanctification by works. But this day I repent. And I'm going to seek sanctification. I'm going to seek to be made like Christ, to be made holy by believing you. I believe you are able. I believe you are faithful. I believe in your work in me through Christ Jesus. And I will desperately cling to your word. If you don't have a hunger for his word and for prayer, go to him. Why wouldn't he give you that hunger? I mean, does he not tell us? If you being evil know how to give your son good gifts, how much more does your father know how to give good gifts to those who ask of you in Luke? How much more does he know how to give the Holy Spirit? Do you believe that? Why would he withhold a hunger for his word, a hunger for prayer? Go to him. I'm not hungry for your word. I'm not hungry for uh, prayer. Produce this in me. I know, desperately, I know how much I need you. I'm walking through a minefield out here. I know desperately I need to cling to your word. I need to cling to you in prayer. And according to your faith, let it be to you. Let's pray. Holy and righteous Father. Father, I thank you for helping me, Lord. For God, I have nothing to say to these people. But what you have to say. But even as I noted, every word that I have spoken is tainted by my sin in some way. So I pray, Lord, that you would purge it. I pray, Lord, that you would grant each and every individual in this place to hear what was said, to go to your word, to test these things, to hold fast to what is good, and that their life would be transformed. Maybe they've been a Christian for two, three decades, and they've been pursuing sanctification by the law. And they seem to have been trapped And they're like, man, I will to do this. I can't do this. What I hate that I do, I delight in the law of God. What's wrong with me? I'm in this body of death. Is there any deliverance? Maybe that's been their entire Christian life. Year after year after year after year, sermon after sermon after sermon after sermon. I pray that this day you would reveal to them their fault, their error, in pursuing, yes, a good thing, sanctification, but not according to faith. Grant them repentance to take hold of you, believing your ability, your faithfulness, and your work, and cling to you in the word, and cling to you in prayer. And now, as we have the Lord's Supper to remind us of the work of Christ. May it be a reminder, not only of the work of Christ externally, but the work of Christ internally. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.